You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, Assault Studios production. Imagine sitting down next to a hardened criminal and trying to teach them to read, write and count. That's a tough gig, particularly for someone fresh out of university, but that's where Cathy Naismith started her teaching career. This role early in her career led to other opportunities, like moving overseas, working for -for not-for-profits, corporates and eventually starting her own business in careers guidance and resetting. In this episode, Cathy steps us through her career and gives great advice to students on what to do to identify career options for yourself. Cathy, after university, you took on a very interesting role. You were a teacher, but you weren't at a school, you weren't at a university, you weren't even at a private college. You were a teacher at a jail. That must have been fascinating. It certainly was, Luke. I'd actually, when I finished my um, graduate diploma of education, I'd applied for a number of roles and hadn't landed anything. So I'd moved back to Wagga and there was a a newly built um, jail that had been constructed and administrated privately as well. So it was a part of the New South Wales network of the jail system there. We had 600 male inmates and there were eight education staff that supported them with their education and learning. In that setting, and you're dealing with inmates every day, what are the sorts of things that you're doing? I looked after the inmates that were studying general secondary studies and correspondence work, so supporting them with the TAFE education or getting their enrolments up to scratch or talking to them about the type of education they wanted in in order to help them with their parole, to help them with create pathways outside of jail as well. So we had a number of guys that were also enrolled in university. So it was really, if I didn't have the answers for something, then I'd be finding other people that I would be able to buddy them up with as well, to really give them a safe space for their learning. And once again, to give them an opportunity for for proper rehabilitation in relation to having a pathway that when they left the institution, that they could say, well, I'm proud because I've completed this subject or this degree or whatever it might be. I think that's a really powerful thing to do. And was it run just like a normal school setting? So there'd be uh, devised classes day after day, week after week, or was it a bit more, uh, you know, you're there for an hour here and there? We would open the education department at eight and then people came in from, I think it was from about nine till 11.30 and then it would close down for an hour and then open again from 1.30 to 3.30 and then we would have to leave the institution by about four o'clock. How did you feel going into that sitting? We were there actually before the inmates arrived, so it was kind of, it was pretty easy to start with. We were really fortunate that we were able to explore what some of the other correctional centres were doing as far as providing their education. So we used that in order to have continuity with our education as well. There was a great sense of collegiality, of support and a feeling that we were trying to create something that was really powerful and important. That's a baptism of fire over 18 months and at that point you decided you're going to move to London. My older sister Liz had already relocated to London and one of my dear friends that I went to boarding school with for many years was ready to hit the road as well. Once you finish your education and study, you have some experience of some work, then it's time to go out and explore the um, the wider world. So myself and my friend Rach uh, headed off to London with our backpacks full and our hearts open, all very excited <laughs> to see um, what we could find. 
Yeah, right. How much money was in the back pocket? Well, fortunately, because I'd been living at home, mum and dad were very generous with being able to support me. So I certainly didn't have to go there to work. I was able to spend, you know, a good um, six to eight months travelling before I had to settle down and then start thinking about working. Other than living in London, what were some of the places you were visiting? We went to the Eastern Bloc countries, up to Scandinavia, home through Africa, and so lots of in-betweens as well. There was a point where you did start to focus on trying to find a job while you were over there? Those were the days that you there were no mobile, so you actually had to leave your residence at six o'clock in the morning, find a payphone, call up the agencies that you had enrolled with. They would send you a long list, probably of about 20 stops and starts of where you need to get to places, usually at the very end of a line somewhere, and some pretty interesting and challenging uh, education set up. So I did that roughly for about three months altogether, and then that was enough for me. When you say education setups, that was going into schools over there as a, like a freelance teacher? Yes, yes. What were you learning about yourself during that time? In hindsight, I don't know whether I learned that much about myself. In reflection, the importance of being really adaptable, being open to challenge and not um, being overwhelmed, just giving things a try. All these things I think were, in hindsight, really important. Um, But also when to say, okay, I've had enough of that and be ready to move on to the next thing as well. So um, knowing when to grit and knowing when to quit. A lot of students want to go and do this. What's some advice around how to do it successfully for uh, people studying education? I mean, the world is um, so much more open now as far as chat rooms and using Zooms and everything. So these make it really so much easier to kind of step into that. And I think probably young students' worlds are so much more open than what we were exposed to. Um, so all you really need is is just some, some cash as a backup. And once again, you know, that willing heart and, and mind to try out something new and different. And the experiences can be quite extraordinary. They can be very challenging at times, but we also remember that during those times, we have enormous growth and understanding and, and learning about ourselves too. When did you realise it was time to come home? After living in, in London for that time, I just really missed seeing stars and nature. So I think about two weeks after I'd had a bit of a meltdown, I found myself walking along a beach in Mombasa, looking at the stars going, oh, this is better. Fair enough. All right. So you went to university without a plan. You got through high school without a plan. I'm assuming you came back to Australia without a plan. You just jumped on a plane, turned up and thought whatever happens next, happens next. Absolutely. So once again, fortunately, I've incredibly generous parents. I turned up back on their doorstep and and then got a, a role locally, which was with Mission Australia working with long-term unemployed. So that was a great experience working in an organisation, once again, developing, you know, some, some great relationships with colleagues and a great project as well. Towards the end of that, when the funding was running out on that project, um, then I also jumped over quickly to um, working with disadvantaged youth. So a program for two weeks that supported um, students in that area. So talk to me about that, because obviously you've been a teacher up to a certain point. Now you're working for not-for-profits. How did that all come about? So it was really looking at those transferable skills of training, facilitation, you know, organising, planning, educating, and and budgets and everything were all set out. So I didn't really have to worry too much about that sort of thing. But it was a natural transition, really, in that way. Also, because I'd been working with adults in the correctional institution, it it was a natural pathway then working back with adults again. So what was a normal day for a not-for-profit like for you? So it might be organising the training schedule, 
talking to some of the trainers that we may be getting in or actually facilitating some of those particular job search subjects such as how to write a resume, how to um, conduct yourself in an interview. So those really basic 101 job search skills. Now, there's a really interesting uh, comment you've just made there, how to write a resume. I mean, if you Google that, you will find blog post after blog post. You will find businesses that will do it for you uh, or you can do it yourself. Um, I guess there's two schools of thought here. Some will tell you you don't need a resume anymore. Others will tell you, yes, you do. Where do you sit on that? So if you're a student, like a high school student, you just need a one-pager and you can probably download it off the net and you can think about, you know, writing what your skills are because your skills obviously or your experience are really limited at that stage anyway. As you get to um, university stage, this is when it's really important to really look at what you're doing in your extracurricular activities, any voluntary work or that, and that starts to then really build up a flavour of what is your particular knowledge, skills, attributes, but how you've applied them and the value that you've added. And then once you become an adult, then it becomes much more specific as far as what are the job titles and what is your experience in those areas. So it's really kind of fit for purpose. So if we're dealing with students who haven't had a lot of experience at at that particular point in their soon-to-be career, what are some of the skills that they should be putting down that an employer wants to see? At the level of sort of working in a, in a retail shop or working in hospitality or these sorts of things, employers want to know that you're reliable, that you have got some good communication skills, that you're adaptable, that you are willing to try new things, that you've got some of those really basic skills as far as being digitally literate, if you have to use um, computers or, you know, being able to use FPOSs or things like that. But generally, if you are open and curious and, and willing to to learn. These are the sorts of things that employers are looking for. What about extracurricular activities? Do they need to be mentioned in there as well? Really helpful. Um, So if you're on the debating team, obviously that's going to speak to your ability to communicate clearly. If you're on the cricket team, that speaks to your ability to work within a team. If you have a leadership position, it doesn't necessarily have to be school captain or anything like that, but you may have put up your hand um, to do some voluntary work to lead the social justice group or whatever it might be that shows your ability to, to plan and to coordinate and, and basically to get other people engaged as well. So all of these things are really critical in being able to demonstrate to an employer, this is what I can offer you, this is the value I can bring. Where did you go after Mission Australia? During my time at Mission Australia then, I also um, was introduced to um, some people that worked for a company called DBM, Drake B. Moran, and they were global outplacement providers. So they were based in all the capital cities, one of them being in Melbourne. So when I landed back in Melbourne, the plan was to get a job when I got there because I'd saved some cash once again. I had somewhere to stay and then I started applying for roles. So I made a point of making contact with a fellow called John James and uh, I met with him in Collins Street and we had a great conversation. At that stage, there weren't many females working in outplacement and it was largely men that had had quite esteemed or quite developed careers. So I was taken on to um, facilitate workshops And at that point, there were a lot of um, banks that had been out in the suburbs and the bank managers' positions had been made redundant. They were centralising everything. So I ran a lot of those workshops and so I worked on a consulting basis. At that time, I also met another consultant that worked there 
and he introduced me to uh, another non-for-profit. And so I worked with a company called Centrepack. So they'd won a contract to deliver job search and support services for long-term unemployed based in South Melbourne out of Father Bob Maguire's office. So I was able to juggle the corporate as well as the non-for-profit world. So it was a great balance for me at that time. Quite clearly, Father Bob Maguire is a leader, a leader within our community, a leader within Melbourne. What did you learn working with him? Bob has an enormous intellect. When I would come into the office, sometimes I'd I'd have a chat to him and he's so far ahead of the zeitgeist of what's happening in the world. He was probably one of the early adapters when it came to to digital platforms and technologies and, and how to use that. He's also an incredibly passionate person for... Uh, fighting for the underdog. He's um, just an incredibly inspirational person. He's just, um, yeah, a a breath of fresh air and he is really, you know, what social justice in action looks like. What's some advice around there for, again, students coming through about trying to identify that person who's been there, who's gone before them, that they can learn from and who that person can then support them on their journey to? I think maybe from the perspective of a student, and certainly this is what I find working with people in job search as well, people don't necessarily, they don't ask the question because they don't think they've got anything of value to give or they're not necessarily important enough or interesting enough or whatever. That's actually not what mentors about. Mentors are about helping you to really understand yourself better and to challenge your thinking around things. And often people that have had quite extensive careers, they love to help people that are starting on their career paths as well. They love to give advice, information and perspective about things. So all you need to do is be brave enough to ask the question. And that can be simple as simple as, can you tell me, you know, how you started in this, what your experience was like? It doesn't mean that their answer is something that you have to do. But once again, the more, dif- the more perspectives that you have, and if you can keep them in your loop, And make sure that you're professional and say, write them an email. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate this bit of advice. This is how I'd apply it. I'll keep in your loop. Those people will be in your career network, which is where your career resilience will come from for the rest of your life. You work with people to help them identify what they want to achieve in life, what some of their goals are. I'm going to turn that and put it back on you. In your business journey, what do you want to achieve? So from here, I'm really passionate about this role of positive psychology and wellbeing and how that dissects with careers. So I think many of our organisations and many business institutions have been very rigid and particularly working with women when they have had really successful careers and they might step out to be um, caregivers or they might be the primary caregiver in a, in a family. It's a real struggle. Um, so that's one of my, I guess, my passion projects is really supporting women to be able to navigate that more successfully. But more strategically, you know, challenging our organisations about how can we do hybrid working better? How can we not only look at what our bottom dollars are, but um, thinking about more broadly the social the um, impact that we're having on the way that we work and the sort of society that that's creating. Once again, Luke, I don't have a plan, just being open, seeing the opportunity and going from there. Thank you very much for sitting down and having a chat. Thank you, Luke. It's been a great delight. (laughs) 
Through learning and with time, Cathy has landed at a place where her skills and experiences are needed by others to help fulfil their career needs and wants. If you're not sure what you want to do with your career, speaking to someone like Cathy is a great idea. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production.